Good morning. Welcome to Purifying Truths with A Star. Hope everybody is having a fabulous Saturday morning. Thank you once again for tuning in to Purifying Truths. Today we have the pleasure of having Miss Tracy Hickman with us. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. What a privilege. For those of you that don't know Miss Hickman, she is passionate about empowering people, people in our community to develop healthy relationships. She has a goal to help create family environments where each and every member can grow and reach their fullest potential. What gives her this background and this passion? We're going to find out today on Purifying Truths. All right. Well, once again, welcome to Purifying Truths. Ms. Hickman, tell us, please, what empowers you to empower others? So basically, all throughout uh, life, I can remember as far back as high school, people have said to me, you're really easy to talk to. And so I never really knew what to do with that. Um, They've said things like, uh, like some of my classmates, they've said, you're going places. And again, at that time, I, I didn't have no idea, you know, what that meant. So growing up in uh, Gainesville and after college and uh, moving away with my husband and then returning back here with our own life storm, which was Hurricane Rita, that is when things really started to unfold for me as to the, the direction um, as to where to go. Um, also when I think about childhood, um, seeing domestic violence in the community, experiencing it, um, as a child at home, all of these components kind of created this passion as I grew up thinking, Hmm, when I grow up, I don't want this. I don't want that in my life. I don't want this in my life. And so, again, after Hurricane Rita, it's like, you know, as I observe these things, the same dynamics that I saw growing up in my neighborhood as a kid, I was seeing in my neighborhood as an adult. And the only difference is I'm now an adult and it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it? You're, you're annoyed, you're frustrated, you're talking about it, but what can you actually do about it? And that's kind of when the journey began here uh, in uh, probably back in 2005. Wow. Mm-hmm. So who inspired you? Was there a person or something that inspired you understanding that you saw the problem, you realized there was a problem, but what made you um, or who made you think, you know what, I, I can tackle this problem. This here, I can make a change. So as far as inspiration, 
I, I'm, I probably would see myself as an idealist and I would get that from the Bible. I would mm-hmm. see where, uh, you know, God is love and that we could have that love on the inside of us. And then we can share that love. Um, to me, every aspect of our lives are addressed as God in God's way. And it's like, okay, Lord, how do I have that, what you're talking about here? And so my number one uh, inspiration would definitely be the Bible. First of all, these things need to be, I felt, in my life. And, and um, so that would mean that I needed to create the same happy, the same healthy relationships and so forth that were annoying me in other people's lives. I needed to see that in mine. Um, because again, to me, you need to be the change that you want to see happening. And so as much as I could, that, that was um, my take on or, or my approach to, um, you know, being motivated to do more. Uh, of course, there were, you know, teachers or professors or pastors or other people around. But a lot of the people that I was also around kind of showed me what not to not what not to do. So. Yes. Many mm-hmm. times we are inspired in life, unfortunately, by events that happen that we don't want to see happen mm-hmm. again. So it inspires us to go the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Truly, I've experienced that in my life as well. Mm-hmm. But um, Tracy, as I look over all of the things that you are a part of, you know, maybe the audience is wondering um, what qualifies her? Well, Ms. Hickman has a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology from the University of Florida, a Master's in Mental Health Counseling, which we're going to come back and touch to on in just a minute, from Webster University, and she is a licensed mental health counselor. Um, Ms. Hickman is also a member of the Black on Black Crime Force and the coordinator of the Community Response to Domestic Violence in Alachua County. So with all of that being said, I truly believe that you are more than qualified to inspire others. And so as you advocate for others, what gives you the strength and the energy to not only be the change for what you want to see in your community, but to empower others to do the same? So uh, basically what gives me this this inspiration on change is the either either when we look at the world either we can i like i always like quotes and so here's one that i use often it's the world suffers a lot not because of the violence of bad people but because of the silence of good people Mm. And so, it, and it's, of course, it's one by unknown, an unknown person. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, the inspiration to uh, do what I do is I want to see people living that ideal in their lives. I want to see um, people being happy. I believe if you signed up for love, love is what you ought to be getting. Kind of simplistic, and some people can be annoyed by the simplicity of it, but I don't think we should complicate life any more complicated than it is. Um, so, 
Uh, yes. <laughs> That's powerful. Mm -hmm. The world needs us to speak up. Mm -hmm. Understood. Absolutely. And certainly you are doing that. And you have a program that's called the Rebuilding Program. Would you describe that to us a little? So, yes. Um, the Rebuilding Program, it, it would have started back in, uh, actually before 2007. Uh, I started working in that position at 2000, in 2008. And what the program is is an empowerment program uh, it's actually entitled the empowered to live the life you choose rebuilding program and it's a grant funded program uh, through VAWA uh, VAWA means violence against women's act through the U.S. Department of Justice mm -hmm. and <clears throat> by the way that uh that uh, Department of Justice, the VAWA law has to be renewed. I think uh, President Biden just signed off on that again. So we would really be in a mess without that act being re-signed. So in the program, it's thinking about decisions. And the program looks at a response to domestic violence utilizing three aspects. One is rebuilding lives, and that would be uh, working directly with uh, survivors of domestic violence to uh, empower them to make choices uh, to live the life that, that they choose instead of uh, the effects of domestic violence and the trauma and all of the aspects that go along with that. It's identifying Stumbling blocks, things like denial and fear and anger, guilt, uh, rejection. These things hinder us from living the life we choose. If we don't, um, another stumbling block would be uh, loneliness. Uh, so, yeah, after loneliness, then we transition into self-worth. Because, again, domestic violence whittles away all of those in your life and with self-worth uh if you do not value you and self and domestic violence whittles that away um, it makes it very difficult for you to do anything else mm -hmm. and then after self-worth we trans we take that reach and climb into what's called transition and purpose and then once we do that it's like taking that one look back to see, hmm, are there any other leftovers in my life that's hindering me from living this life that I choose? Um, and then finally, it's freedom. Freedom is a word that each one of the survivors would get to define for themselves. Um, and then once they do that, I ask them, hey, you need to frame this so that you can keep it and be mindful of what freedom is because as soon as you graduate from this program, there'll be other things that will uh, test you, uh, test the freedom, test the work that you have done uh, on this journey of empowerment. So that's the first part of it, uh, the rebuilding lives. The second component was after having done just the rebuilding part for a number of years, we thought, hmm, 
most of the survivors, we talked about faith. And I thought, hmm, the church is not at the table. They're not talking about domestic violence at all. So we developed this second component called the Faith Communities Coming Together to Stop Intimate Partner Violence. Mm-hmm. And there uh, we put a team together who, of pastors and advocates and so forth um, to develop a notebook that would be a reference tool for the faith leaders within our community. After doing that, we started uh, doing presentations that were like four-hour trainings on domestic violence. Uh, The trainings would consist of Domestic Violence 101, which was done by one of the advocates at Peaceful Paths. Uh, We would have an attorney to talk about some of the legal aspects of domestic violence, a pastor to talk about you know, the church's response to domestic violence. Um, We'd even have a a survivor of domestic violence and then the mother who um, her daughter was murdered by her daughter's boyfriend. And Mm -hmm. so all of that made a really um, full rounded uh, talk on domestic violence. It could definitely be very intense Um, but it was very needed. And what happened, aside from being super thankful to the churches who allowed us to come in and do the presentation, but what I found was some of the pastors wanted us to only talk to women. And a lot of the pastors did not like to hear me say men's violence against women. They would try to um, turn domestic violence into a mutual uh, violence, but that's not that's not what I see. I see men's violence against women, and that mm-hmm. is how I framed it. So, needless to say, um, the opportunities to present at churches stopped. And then, when we tried to do any follow up, um, I would you know receive these answers where. They did not know there was nothing, no response, no, we, we hadn't heard of any occurrences, no one has disclosed, because that was the whole purpose of faith communities is there were disclosures, disclosures of domestic violence to the pastor or the choir leader or, or whomever, and the question became, how do you handle this in a faith-based setting? Mm-hmm. So we wanted to equip the church with the tools to do that. Then um, we looked at, hmm, who else? So we did that for a few years along with the rebuilding aspect of it. And then we looked at who else is not at the table? Well, we keep talking about men's violence against the mess, against men's violence against women. And so the next step was, hmm, we do need some men. How do we get men on board? And that's when the mob was created. It's men on board against domestic violence. And we had done a number of community uh, mob rallies to recruit men. The goal was to recruit about mm, 5,000 men from Alachua County. And when I looked at the census, I didn't think that would be a difficult task. But the men who actually uh, were a part of the work group 
um, I later figured out that they were there to kind of make sure that this did not happen. And when I did not follow uh, what they perceived as a good number, like they wanted to start with a hundred. And I'm thinking if we recruited the uh, men from Santa Fe College in uh, the University of Florida, um, we could get a good set of numbers there if we went to the schools and went to the churches mm -hmm. and so forth that we would be able to get 5,000 men. But they were not willing to do it. And it was not something, you know, that I could take on um, and do full time because like all three of these components are full time positions. And so I was doing trying to do my best to do what I could with all three of them. So the thing about the mob is men can say things to men and they hear it far better than hearing it from a woman. And that was the whole premise where men were, were designed to, um, they were going to help be informed bystanders where every person you were near at the time would be safe. And so that was the premise for the mob. Um, and like I said, I still have a few faithful mob members who are still um, helping, but truly domestic violence. I'm not saying that there are no male victims. I'm not saying that at all. But most of the violence, even in same-sex relationship re relationships, are done by men. Um, and so this is really a problem that if men do not step in and stop being silent, uh, is going to, uh, it's, it's not going to change. Understood. And so what I hear you saying is that silence is the weapon of mm -hmm. choice that is keeping domestic violence brewing, mm -hmm. whether it's in the home or in the church or in the community. Um, yes. Definitely, there's a need for healthy homes, yes. because usually when you see something, you repeat it. Um, it's a matter of time. If it's when you're old enough to or, you know, when you get angry or whatever, you repeat what you see. Mm -hmm. And so hats off to you for the rebuilding program and all of these different roads leading to building a stronger and healthy family. Mm -hmm. Now, as we look at um, the rebuilding program, you said something that I just want to reiterate that, you know, not all men are monsters and not all men are the perpetrators. And certainly men can be um, the victims. Mm -hmm. But in the wide scope of things, they are the minority in the domestic violence um, seen in our communities, at least. Is yes. that about right? Yes, that is correct. Mm -hmm. Understood. So we have um, many, many different effects. It's not just the bruising and the, the, the things that are able to be seen mm -hmm. from others. Mm -hmm. But how do you help and what would you suggest for those that are um, battling with domestic violence or maybe life's issues as a result of domestic violence that do not have a strong support system? Uh, first, I would say what I've noticed in the years that I have been doing this work are the ones, the survivors who have established a relationship with the Lord 
tend to fare better. Um, so that would be first and foremost is where are you in your personal relationship with the Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, second, I would think about boundaries. Most of the time when uh, these abusives, actually, when you enter a relationship, most of the time we don't think about boundaries. And that can be a problem. And so when I'm listening, for example, um, when a woman says to a man, I'm not interested in you, that means goodbye, don't talk to me again. But some of these relationships start because he is insistent on talking and connecting with this woman. It's almost as if um, he's wearing her down. And mm-hmm. I said, you entered a relationship while, wherein someone broke your very first boundary. I am not interested. And so it just further kind of um, increases the men not looking, listening to women at all because they're able to just run through whatever they say and not um, hear what they're saying and not heed what they're saying because there is no con- there are no consequences. And so, um, so before the dynamics of domestic violence start, there are, there are these simple boundaries that are not in place in, in our lives as women, especially as black women. We, most of the time we didn't grow up with boundaries where you do as you're told, you're not even allowed to express feelings. Um, if you're hurt or if you're angry, especially if you're angry, I know my mother was one. She said, you know, you put your feelings in your pocket and put your hands in your pocket. And the last thing you better do is get mad with her um, because that's going to create a problem. So again, growing up, not being able to implement healthy boundaries, when does this start? Uh, And so again, there are a lot of people who are learning to put boundaries in place in their 30s and 40s. And it's usually after a life storm like domestic violence. Um, Another uh, suggestion would be to learn to be true to your heart. I don't know how many people I've talked to who have said, I really didn't even like him like that. Okay, how do we have, you know, kids and a marriage from somebody that you did not like. And that kind of goes back to the, to the second one. Um, suggestion is boundaries. People just run over other people's boundaries and not even pay them any attention. I call that disrespect. So you entered a relationship where one of the partners was already disrespectful. Um, mm-hmm. Focusing on yourself and not so much of others. A lot of times when we're struggling with, uh, you know, life battles, um, you cannot put your, you can't help somebody put their oxygen mask on until you have yours on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we're struggling, we want to help, help, help. But we really need all the resources that we can uh, get 
and muster. I'm talking about emotionally, physically, financially, to try to get our own selves straight first. Mm-hmm. Then we can um, look out and help others and help them with their situations. But we need to have some things accomplished first um, before we do that. We need to have our own uh, reserves built up in order to have something to give. Um, The thing about life and life battles is, I think about Job 14.1, it says, if you're born of a woman, your days are few and they're full of trouble. (laughs) So trouble is coming. The, The question that I ask myself is, Am I adding to the trouble that's coming by the decisions and the choices that I make? Am I living a life where I ignore consequences? Because if I do, those will be repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to contribute to life battles. Um, and then sometimes I, you, you just need a change of environment or a change of atmosphere because your place where you are the most is not safe. It's not emotionally safe. It may not be physically safe. And you can't do any growing if, if you're not in a safe place. Um, so it's really looking at your environment. Who are you around? What do they say? You know, are they affirming? Are they tearing you down? You know, if you're in a life battle, again, you need all the resources that you possibly can can muster. And so being in a negative environment is not going to help you overcome those life battles. And then lastly, what do you do that you enjoy? Things that make you happy. What are those things? Because we're so busy fighting that we totally forget about um, what is it that I like? Because again, that's that's where I'm, I may be able to find other people resources is in where I'm happy, not in where I'm angry and upset. So -hmm. those would be my suggestions for um, people struggling with life battles. Thank you for that. You have said a mouth and an earful. I just want to touch bases on the male part and the dismissing boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, As we, as mothers raise our sons Mm -hmm. or fathers raise our sons or mothers or fathers raising our daughters, how would you recommend teaching each one that no means no, whether it's don't call me or I'm not interested or no, I don't want to go to the movies because everywhere, whether it is what we see in our community, what we see on TV, on social media, everywhere says, you know, no doesn't mean no. Keep trying, try harder, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. And it's not looked at as breaking boundaries is considered to be flirting or wooing. And it does turn into sometimes people ending up with people that they weren't really interested in. They were just worn down and tired. So they gave in. The number one boundary for someone that you don't want to talk to is don't talk to them. Mm hmm. So somehow you don't give your phone number. I think they still give phone numbers, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to someone who does. And that's a, that's a boundary. You don't give your number to somebody that you don't want to talk to or somebody that you don't like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, here's a boundary. I was in a neighborhood and a guy I knew from high school, he said, Hey, Tracy. And I said, Oh, who called, who could possibly be calling my name like that? And so I didn't respond at all. I kept walking. Why? Because I only answered to certain things. Mm. 
And then when he said, Miss Johnson, I said, oh, that's a little bit better. I think I can turn around now. And so I turned around and I looked and I said, hey, classmate, how you doing? He said, well, you heard me when I said, hey, Tracy. I said, I did. But the problem is I didn't like the authority that you was, you know, throwing my way. And mm -hmm. so uh, you don't have that authority in my life. The only per man that I'm going to submit to is my husband. And that's because I choose to do that. Um, and so again, just right there, that, that simple, Hey, Tracy, excuse me. Mm -hmm. You know, just like, um, I you know, having conversation, why are you responding to the B word? Is it your name? These are all like boundary run throughs. You just Totally. We're, we miss the, the little cues. We miss the little things. The Bible talks about it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Yes. Well, we miss the little things. And those little things miss become bigger things. So now I'm now this guy has my ear and then I don't like him. I'm rolling my eyes. I have contempt. Uh, he's getting on my nerves. I think everything he says is stupid. You think that for a reason. That is your body telling you run. You don't mm -hmm. like this person. You don't care what they're saying. You don't care what they drive. You don't care how much money they have. It doesn't matter. You don't like this person. And, and so, many, mm -hmm. go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And so many, anytime we run past that, I've even heard of the Lord said, run from this person and they're still talking to them. Hmm. Okay. Many times I see we find ourselves in a relationship or we have a relationship of convenience. You know, I don't really like him, but he paid the bills. I don't really like him, but like you said, he has the money, he has the car. And so that becomes, I believe, a part of self-esteem. And so how would you advise somebody that's dealing with that? You know, oh, I can deal with this. It's kind of a trade-off system. Hmm. Well, um, Maybe back in the 60s, that would be kind of okay. But today, um, especially uh, Black women, most of them are far more educated than uh, Black men. Um, they have more professional opportunities than Black men. And it's it, it would be time out for that. Meaning... If you're connecting with a man just because of what he has, it's going to show up in how you interact with him. And so to, to me, you're not even getting together for love of him. It's love of what he has. So this relationship is already getting off and started on a very shaky, manipulative foundation. It's going to backfire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned about self-love and being safe in a safe environment and not becoming stagnant. So just please touch a little bit more on why it's so important to not be in an environment where or tolerate an environment where somebody's telling you, oh, you're nothing. You're nothing but a and whatever, fill in the blank. Um, and what that does to someone hearing it over and over again. So if I refer um, back to the Bible, it says, as one thinks in his so heart, is he. Mm -hmm. so is he. And so when someone sends a message your way, 
verbally, physically, it's going to impact the person who is receiving it. And again, if they don't have a boundary to resist what's being sent their way, it it penetrates. When I think about I'm going to date myself, but I think about Star Trek <laughs> and the um, Starship Enterprise, it has shields on it. Mm-hmm. And when the enemy fires the weapon, the captain says, you know, I think it's Dr. Spock or whoever, uh, inspect the shields. How much damage? What is our shield functioning? And if they're functioning at a level what the, wherein they need repairs, they repair them. Okay, well, we don't do that. We take hit after hit after hit after hit, and we keep going. These hits take a toll over time. Mm-hmm. And we're being whittled down to, you know, this person who becomes devalued. And especially as black women, uh, pretty much everywhere we go, we're devalued. I started noticing the devaluing with pantyhose. (laughs) You know, um, back in my day, there was nude, beige. Mm. Um, It's just like, mom, you know, at, at my church, we had to wear them. And, you know, I, I told my mom, I said, these don't even match my skin. So the devaluing is noticeable and it starts very early. And again, not noticing, not uh, inspecting our shields and doing the repair. It took, it took years before brown sugar pantyhose came, you know, became an item that we could buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, things look, you know, they look better than nude. Um, even hair, colorisms, all of these, all of these uh, issues whittle down the self-worth of the Black woman. Then to live in an environment where you, you know, your, the, your partner, whether you are developing as a teenager it's your peers who are instrumental in affirming you and helping you to develop. When you hook up with an intimate partner, it's that person who helps to further uh, increase your self-esteem and self-worth and all of those affirming things. Okay, well, if they're doing the opposite, they're now tearing you down and it's reshaping your view of you on top of what is going on in society. So now I like to look at relationships from an ecological standpoint. There's the individual. And then what is happening with this individual in their immediate family household? Is this a safe place or is this a place of hell and torment and abuse? What is in the house? Um, are they arguing? Because the thing about yelling and screaming, it's traumatic, especially to children, because it's not processed in their ears like, the, uh, like you would think that it is. It, it hits the amygdala part of their brain and sends them into fight, flight, freeze, or faint. So again, if there's a simple thing as yelling in the house, it's not emotionally safe for the child. I like to watch, uh, um, her name is Deborah Tillman. She's the American super nanny. Mm-hmm. She does a number of parenting videos and so forth. And 
uh, just cursing. One of the little boys said, you know, I would just love it if my family would stop yelling and cursing. Um, because again, from the biblical perspective, cursing or cussing is really spewing curses. That is not what your mind, that is not what your mouth was intended to do. That is not the purpose of your mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we, we devalue each other because we lose sight of what and who, who we really are. We're so focused on the earth suit that we live in that we forget that that suit contains a spirit that is made in the image of God. And this earth suit that we see is what um, allows us to live on the earth. But there's more to us. And so when we when I see, you know, nigga, you know, bow, bow and I'm gonna shoot you. You're only looking at the dirt part of the person. You're not looking at this person is created in the image of God and you don't have a right to do what you're doing. Mm. They don't they don't see that. So we're so uh, most places we go, there is that devaluing. Many times I've experienced exactly what you're talking about, and we don't even recognize it as that. Mm -hmm. We take it as the norm mm -hmm. when actually the norm is not normal. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of that, uh, what is your outlook on counseling and, you know, the stigmas in the black community? Usually if you say the word counseling, I ain't crazy, is the next response you'll get. Right. Um, when it comes to counseling, it's either I'm not crazy or um, what are these names that, you know, is um, being or type or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? These disorders that's being attached to me and what will happen once I'm, I receive this label. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to counseling, I think that um, Black folks need a lot of counseling, um, but it needs to be from a healthy counselor that can hear them. <laughs> um, because again, if you go to a counselor who doesn't even see you black person as a human, okay, well, what kind of work are you going to get? What, what kind of work is going to actually happen there? What kind of rapport will actually take place so that you feel safe enough to do the work. And then a lot of the work that needs to be done is centered around the ongoing issues of racism and oppression that keeps happening. Um, so I love the work of, of uh, Dr. Joy DeGruy. She um, coined, framed the name uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And it's basically a legacy of over 400 years of trauma of which we are seeing the effects of. And no matter other, uh, the dominant race, the dominant race can, um, they can experience trauma and it can be ex expressed in, and viewed and labeled as trauma. But other, other people of color, it's criminalized. And so uh, until those connections of slavery, this is what Dr. DeGruy says, until the connections of slavery that has left people feeling unsafe, conflicted, confused, 
unrecognized, disrespected, inferior, and shame until those things are dealt with. And to me, that has to be dealt with on an individual basis by Mm -hmm. one, not having the effects of slavery in the house. When we cross the threshold of our front door and go out into our community, um, as from the individual perspective, we can um, shift our communities by not taking part in what we see going on in our communities that's unhealthy and holding those people accountable um, who are doing unhealthy things in our community. And so until we do that, we're not gonna clean up the house and we're not gonna clean up the community. The house becomes uh, a bunch of houses create a community and then a bunch of communities create our world. And so to me, it all starts with the individual. What are, what is each individual willing to do while we're, uh, while these individuals are working on the bigger systems? But to me, it starts at home. Even the Bible says charity starts at home. So a a lot of this stuff, we got to clean up our house. A lot of the things that invite the system into our lives is because of, um, you know, fighting and unsafe behaviors um, lets the system know that we are even here. Mm -hmm. So um, this multi-generational trauma, um, the continued oppression, that's why I warned people, I said, hey, be careful watching uh, George Floyd videos over and over and over. It's going to impact. It's going to have an impact on you. It's it's trauma all over. And there is a term called vicarious trauma where we may not be experiencing it, um, you know, as the person is, but if we're seeing it and hearing it, it's still going to impact us. Um, and so the thing about trauma is it's going to impact our thinking. And so again, going back to Proverbs 23, seven, how you think has a lot to do with who you are and uh, your outlook on things. And so um, Dr. DeGruy said that there are basically three symptoms and we kind of touched on it earlier when we talked about self-worth and self-esteem. And so what she found was there's uh, something called vacant esteem. And I thought, wow, that's very powerful. And what it means is the person is shaped by the interactions with their family, their community and their society. Okay, well, if in the house, everything is negative, you're called names, you're no good, you're sorry, you're never going to amount to nothing, you make me sick, get out. Um, Okay, that's not going to help that person think in a positive way about themselves. That is devaluing. It's not problem. It's not solution focused in seeking a solution to whatever the problem is. It's attacking the person, not dealing with the problem. Um, And so the esteem of that person is definitely going to be um, vacant. And so she describes an example of um, some gang members going against each other, and it was narrowed down to two. And one tried to shoot the other uh, young man, uh, and the gun jammed. Did the other young man who was about to get shot leave or run? No. So the the gang member with the gun tries to fire the gun again. It jams a second time. 
and this the gang member is still standing there. Why? Because he doesn't, you know, he says, well, I don't fear death. Okay, but do you want to live? <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the gun fired, uh, the, he attempted to fire the gun a third time and it jammed a third time. Hmm. And he's still standing there. And so someone would look at that and say, what is wrong with this kid? Well, that's that vacant esteem where it's you, you don't, you, you are so focused on, you know, being uh, strong and not fearful where your body, when you see somebody pointing a gun at you, fight, flight, freeze kicks in and you run or you fight. Well, he just, he stood there saying, I'm not afraid to die. Okay, well, this is not about dying. This is about living. Mm-hmm. And so we run in, we see a number of the teens who say, well, I probably won't live to see 18 anyway. Okay, well, where does that come from? That is the effects of trauma. That is the effects of the symptoms of trauma. One is vacant esteem. The second symptom is ever-present anger, um, where anger is the normal emotional response to a blocked goal. I don't know how many of our black male youth just do not have access to um, opportunities. It's not available to to them. I remember my husband um, sharing the story how he turned in an application, then thought, um, oh, I forgot to put this on it, went back into the uh, job and asked to for his application and the lady thumbs through the files and says, well, I don't see your application. When did you turn it in? And he said, I just turned it in 10 minutes ago. Well, within that 10 minutes, um, he's a black male. They threw his application in the trash. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or I think about the number when I, you know, we go to Publix and I kind of scan and I look and see, okay, well, how many black people are working here? And then I hear other uh, young black males who will say, uh, that was not an opportunity for me. Wow. And I'm just thinking, oh my God. And we wonder where the anger comes from. And so the definition that Dr. James um, Samuel said is it's a normal emotional response to a blocked goal. And so with this ever-present anger, there's that hyperactive amygdala where everything, just about everything is viewed as a threat. Every day, just about every interaction is like fighting with a bear. And we wonder why so many um, um, black people have high blood pressure. Okay, well, it's right here, it's in, this, it's in the trauma. It's in the undiagnosed depression. It's in the undiagnosed anxiety. Uh, wherein they self-medicate using marijuana, uh, which again has its own side effects. Just just because you know they legalize something doesn't necessarily make it good for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, you know, but and they're not even getting the legal marijuana; they're actually getting the street stuff that's laced with you you don't mm-hmm. know what, you know. Um, uh, one was uh, laced with uh, rat poisoning and cement powder. Yeah, I mean, you just never know what you're getting. 
um, when you buy drugs off the street. Um, and then the third uh, symptom of post-traumatic slave syndrome is racist socialization. And we touched on this uh, briefly, but that colorism. I remember um, you had to pass the, the paper bag test, you know, before black people would let you in uh, a church, uh, a sorority, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's crazy. This is adopting white standards, you know, where um, you got to look a certain way to be a part of this. Um, you got to have your hair straight. Um, you know, uh, you, you know, you got to, if you have black features, um, it's not going to be well with you. If you're too dark, I mean, it's just on and on and on. And growing up with this stuff is very traumatic. Um, how we're socialized, race and socialization, also another component of it is the media, you know, or Hollywood. They, you know, the only roles that Black people can play would be um, thugs or gangsters or, um, you know, killing, violent. And so again, what message is going out to the youngsters? You know, I don't see Black people playing the role of a chemist or an attorney or, you know, a doctor. Why aren't they playing these roles? Because they know if, if these kids see this, they're going to be inspired and think, hey, I can do that. But no, um, their focus is athlete you know, becoming an athlete, um, even when to get pregnant, there was a saying, or I guess it was a understood rule in certain neighborhoods that, you know, if you haven't had your baby young, it didn't matter if you were married. It didn't matter if you had the financial resources to take care of the child, none of those things mattered. It's just that you needed to have your kids young. Like you need to have all your kids before you're 25. And I'm just thinking, where did that rule come from? Why? Hmm. I, I just, you know, so there are so many things that we as a people have got to make changes to. Um, accomplishments of, of um, black people have been, you know, whitewashed or either just redacted from history. So it looks like all we've done has, has been slaves and um, served on the chain gang and uh, filling up the prisons and doing drugs. And, and, and that's not true. That's not true at all. But again, if you believe the lie, if you don't see any different, if there is no adult who is willing to show you something different, then you take what you see as truth and then you act on it because that's what you think is the right thing to do. That's so true. So mm -hmm. very true. Mm -hmm. Tracy, I thank you so much for shining a light on issues in our community. Mm -hmm. You know, you've given us so much. We've touched bases on um, setting healthy boundaries, mm -hmm. how to actually value yourself and not allow anyone else to reshape who you mm -hmm. are. One of the um, points that you made that definitely resonated with me is attack the problem, not mm -hmm. the person. Mm -hmm. And when we wrap all of that up into a biblical sense, you know, the Bible also tells us, guard your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, guard your heart. And for those that don't know what that means, is basically these things that you've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. 
Once again, thank you so much for joining Purifying Truths. Now, how can the audience connect with you? So um, I I have a phone number, 352-356-8631. I'm on Facebook. Uh, It's the Rebuilding Program uh, on Facebook. I have an email address. It's H-I-C-K-M-O-N-R-T at cityofgainesville.org. And the word Gainesville is spelled out. Um, But yeah, those are some of the ways that I can be reached. Wonderful, wonderful. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing with us the things that we need to work on. And we have to remember that it all starts at home. Mm -hmm. It all starts at home and each one of us can make a difference. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A Star. Tune in every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for exciting new guests who illuminate the world in various facets of life. Connect with A Star on Facebook and Instagram at Facets of A Star. Also, you can reach A Star www.facetsofastar. Shine bright. <laughs>